Welcome to All Radius Sunday. We do this about 10 times a year where we take all six Radius churches and we hear the same message and kind of keeps us on the same page. I don't know if you knew, but Radius is really a partnership. It's a partnership of six churches right now, which we hope will multiply. But it's also a partnership of individuals like you and many, many of us that have signed the covenant that we are going to partner together to uh, worship God but then also live out his word here uh, in our towns, right here in the Midlands. Uh, for the last few weeks, we've talked about the you, and hopefully, hopefully you've taken in the whole you series. If not, go back and watch it online. But we, we spent a bunch of time talking about the healthy you. We really want, we recognize that this is just a jar of clay, and in order for it to be healthy, it must be filled with the Holy Spirit that we should overflow the love of God on our neighbors, on our family, and make an impact. And so when we think about all Radius and our partnership, one of the things that we've agreed on as elders at Radius Church is that we, we would like to ask every partner to multiply. So over the course of the next three years, I don't know if you knew this, but Radius is 18 years old in August and will be 21 years old in three years. And in over the course of those three years, as we hope we mature like a college kid, we would hope that each of our partners would make one disciple over the next three years. You times two. Discipleship is core to who we are. It's really just sharing what's been given to us with someone else. So I just want to just admonish all of us all across all six campuses that, that starting today, have your head up. You're looking for the Lord to bring somebody into your life that you can overflow his love into. Could be somebody at work. Could be somebody on the aisle sitting right near to you. Could be any variety of folks where you could actually multiply what he's done in you and someone else. Because as we think about radius multiplying over the course of uh, the next three years, we think you times two. So as an individual, you make one disciple. For me, a lot of times that happens at Waffle House. You go wherever you want. We're, we're hoping that our groups, we had almost 1,000 people sign up for groups, which is amazing. 50 more people, that's all we needed to get to 1,000. That would have been amazing. But 1,000 folks signed up for groups, about 80 groups, and it's a place where there's some discipleship that goes on. The things that we love that happen in there is we tell our stories so we get to know each other and you're known. We uh, share the word of God where the power is. And then we spend time praying. It's, it's, a, it's a great little, it's really a tool that we use to keep you connected in a smaller setting than this so that you can grow in Christ. But the hope is that those 80, 75, 80 small groups will multiply. And so we're going to call that G, groups times two. We hope that in three years we could see 75 times two, your South Carolina math, which you get 150 groups where it doesn't really matter to us how that happens. You can split the group in half over the course of the next three years. You could uh, send off kind of some missionaries, maybe two or three out of the group to plant the next group. It doesn't, it doesn't be creative, be innovative. Figure out a way to take that group and the good stuff in that group and multiply it. And then as you know, we like to plant churches. Maybe new to you, you may, this may be the kind of church you've never seen anything like this, but we're, we're dreaming that uh, Radius Centerville that's not very old but over the course of the next three years is going to birth another church. We're dreaming even that Radius Irmo, that's, that's not very old at all, that, that she will be able to birth another church in the next three years. And so again, South Carolina math, there's six of us, six Radius churches in the Midlands. We're dreaming about there being 12. Now we'll celebrate if there's nine, but I, we've set this goal in our mind because we want to be disciplined uh, to, to multiply in everything that we have. 
So here's, here's how you can pray if you're a partner. We're praying for campus pastors. I don't know if you meant, if you were able to attend the partner night just a couple weeks ago. It was, it was awesome. Thank you for coming. If you did, if you missed it, you can watch it online and get caught up. If you're not a partner, there's some partner opportunities, some, some opportunities to partner with us coming up. So, so jump right in. But we talked a bunch about praying for, we're praying for seven, let's see, South Carolina, seven campus pastors. So we need six new ones and we need another one to fill the white knoll job. And so, so as you know somebody, as you pray about this, if you come up with a good lead, pass it on. We'd love to uh, evaluate it and see, see what fits. And then finally, as we multiply, we like to multiply our generosity. If you know our mission statement, it ends with living generously. So Radius Church exists to glorify God by making disciples, planting churches, and living generously. And we're very disciplined to give away money out of, our, out of the total uh, amount of money that comes into Radius. We try to be very disciplined to give a bunch of it away and serve local poverty, serve church planting internationally, and serve church planting domestically. And uh, we're hoping, and this is going to sound a little crazy, it certainly sounded crazy to me when we put it on the page, to double all the money that we've given away in the first 18 years of our life in the next three. So we've given away about five and a half million dollars over the first 18 years of our life. We're hoping to give away, we, we figure we just round that up to six. So six times two equals tw- six more million dollars over the course of the next three years, which means for me and Cheryl, we just had to go back and pray about how much money do we want to take out of our income and pour in to, to, this, to this church. I'd love for you to do the same. Take some time as a family. And for us, that's a percentage, maybe a percentage for you. You may just be getting started. Maybe you're not a partner, but you, you love what's happening at Radius and you just want to get in by starting to give $50 a month. That, that would be awesome. We, we pool all of our resources so that we can take the gospel, the good news, to the Midlands. It's what we're about. We will continue to be about. And then we take those resources and we uh, make disciples and we uh, multiply groups and churches. So as all Radius Sunday, we, we just want to get everybody up to speed. If you want to review that, you can ask your campus pastor. He can give you the review. If you want to see it online, we've got it. Check it out. And now let me pray. I got a, I got a pretty interesting message for us today. Father, thank you for Trusting us, it seems strange that you would, but thank you for trusting us with the good news about Jesus and asking us to be representatives of the gospel on this planet and for us here at Radius, particularly here in the Midlands. We thank you for saving us. We recognize that you loved us first. We did nothing. You did all the work. And we enjoy the benefits of being your children. We want to give that away, Lord. Give us energy for that, discipline for that. Help us do it together well. We trust you with that. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm not sure if they've made you nervous, but we got two doors behind me. Maybe you've been staring at them the whole time. We got a a, a male bathroom and a female bathroom and certainly... Uh, five years ago, this all began to kind of escalate as far as a conversation in our country, in the United States. And over the course of the last five years, that has escalated so much more. It's a crazy time to live on this subject and many others. 
I just want to remind you as a follower of Jesus, this is a great time to live. God in his sovereignty saved you and me and placed us right here, right now, in the midst of crazy amounts of technology, in the midst of all kinds of confusion about sexuality, and he put, put us here as his representatives. So we got work to do. When we talk about you times two, we're supposed to be able, as followers of Jesus, to be the ones who are able to navigate the toughest of waters because we're connected to someone so stable that is our Savior Jesus. I got to speak at a, a camp this summer. It was great. Uh, it was a high school camp, and all that stuff's really fun for me. I like the games. I, I, like, I like all of it, getting to compete and the funny stuff that happens. And so we decided in the morning, Cheryl and I, to talk a good bit about uh, sexuality, which is always fun with high school students because people get nervous. And uh, there were some just amazing conversations. One particular morning, we took the guys and the girls, and we split them. So I had all the guys... And we, we talked about uh, all kinds of stuff. Of course, we spent a ton of time on porn. By the way, man, if you're a parent, uh, e- even a student, this, I hope you know this, every student that has any kind of technology is dealing with, with some form or fashion of porn. It's just everywhere. So they, have to, they are fighting for their lives on it. And, and the boys, particularly in, in my class, it was just, they were just relieved that we were talking about it. One of the counselors stood up and shared about his addiction to porn. It was, it was, it was amazing to hear him share. And then one, one kid who's going off to college next year, he goes, I've never been a part of anything like this in, in a Christian group. Nobody's ever talked just this openly about sexuality with us. We talked about homosexuality. We talked about the, the same sex stuff online. It was just this open conversation where we could guide and coach. And it was like, you could watch the guys in the room, like this relief. Somebody knows and they're, they're willing to talk about it. Cheryl did the same. If you've ever been around my wife, she talks about this subject super easily. It, uh, uh, she'll make me blush talking about it at times and probably has made some of y'all blush when she talks about it. But watching the young teenage girls that are wrestling with who they are, trying to figure out their identity, even the ones that know Jesus and their identities in Christ, just wrestling with who they are and how they appear and all this pressure. By, by the way, again, uh, the fastest growing segment for pornography is, is young ladies. So uh, it's just another thing to be aware of for us as we, we lead our families and we lead our church. This amazing conversation, she offended a few people by something she said, and, and then they were able to talk about it afterwards without her being angry or defensive. And, and we just had this pretty amazing hour or two where we had open conversation about sexuality. I, I need to tell you, the church in the United States needs to be having these conversations. And sadly, they're always tied to politics right now. So we split down the aisle and, and we can't talk because we're so, the thing is so politicized that we can't talk about what the Bible says, which is what we center our lives about on. So let me, as we start this series, and you'll get to talk about it in groups, let me just kind of set some, some guidelines, some guardrails. This is not going to be political in any way. As you know, if I'm preaching, it's not going to have any political ramifications. And I've instructed our group leaders not to go down that, that road at all. Yet we have, when we talk about sexuality, we have, maybe call it passion or anger. 
There's folks on the left and the right that argue on this subject uh, to the point where it's uh, just, just really ugly and hard to be around. We don't want anything to do with that, but we do want to represent the truth. So just because there's a lot of ugly out there and there's a lot of people angry and they're yelling at each other uh, doesn't mean we can't talk about the truth. Our goal over the course of the next coming weeks is to talk about the truth with grace. Most of us end up in one camp or the other. We end up in the angry camp and we're always spouting out the truth. And some of y'all vent online, please stop. You keep embarrassing us with that stuff. Some of us are, are, are yelling, that could be left or right, right? Like that's, that's just kind of, we're angry about it. And sometimes I, I need to be honest with you, you just look really insecure about what you believe because you're so angry. The church is supposed to have this great tension between truth and grace and because of our confidence in the truth, we don't have to be angry. We, we certainly can, can battle for justice, but we, we don't have to be angry all the time and shout at the world. We, we are confident in who we are in Jesus, and so we can talk because our goal is to move them toward the truth. And so there's this group that I would call them the angry crowd, and then you got this other group we call them the passive crowd where they don't really say anything about anything because their life's motto is not to offend anybody. The only time they ever get angry is if the angry crowd's angry and they get angry at the angry crowd. And yet there's something missing there because it, like if you're just full of grace or passive on all issues, then eventually you're not really loving folks that need to be guided toward the truth. So again, there's this Deep tension. Now, for some of y'all that this is so political, you're frustrated with me because I won't drive the political agenda. This probably isn't the church for you. But for the rest of us that are wrestling with it and we want to have conversations, what I, I just want to say is let's, let's take a chill pill, right? Eat a Snickers if you're hungry. Take a nap if you're tired. Reduce the anger. And, and then for those of y'all that are passive, gain some courage. And let's have real conversations about a subject like sexuality so that we can learn and we can grow. And we can encourage one another as we love our neighbors and multiply. Time you talk about sexuality, you got to start from the beginning in the Bible. And I don't know if you know how the Bible works, but you, Holy Bible on the front, you open it up. Usually it's got a little place where you can sign your name because it's yours. You flip the next page if you got one with no notes. And then it says Genesis at the top and then Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 reads like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very first verse in the Bible, this word created comes up. It's cool because it assumes that God is eternal, which blows my mind. So he, was, he never started. He was never born. He never began. God created. And then he creates, and it goes through detail on how he creates the earth, the universe, and, and all that's involved. In essence, he created time, so he holds time in the palm of his hand. He's not subject to time. He has no beginning, and yet he created this, this thing that we're a part of. And you and I get to walk on this one little planet in this one average, average galaxy, and uh, here we are. In the, in the eighth grade, I guess that makes me 13, I sat in a class with Mr. Brown. It was just plain science. I don't know what you, you students do now in eighth grade. It's just plain science. Mr. Brown uh, 
begins to talk about this new word to me called evolution. And he was walking us through at the time, the way it was talked about was the Big Bang Theory. And uh, at, at one point in his conversation, he stopped and he looked at all of us, you know, 25 people in the class, and he says, does anybody in here believe that God created all this? If you do, I want you to stand up. It was really like full of tension and it felt pretty personal. And as, as, a, as a young believer in Jesus, as I sat, I was on the third row right in the middle. I, I'm watching Mr. Brown, who I really like. He's a really good teacher. And it felt kind of like he was calling me out. And, and I felt, man, I felt this, like my heart started beating faster. And I felt like I needed to make a statement of faith. And so as a 13-year-old, I stood up in his class. There's one other guy, Forrest Pruitt, about three rows back. He stood up, just two of us. To this day, I don't know exactly what Mr. Brown was trying to accomplish. I'm not sure that he didn't believe in Jesus and just want to see who else did. I'm sure there was other folks in the room that didn't stand up that believed in Jesus, but that scared them a little bit. There was, there was this thing that he did, though, that was amazing that drew this line between our belief systems. And as I talk about sexuality here, just for a little bit, it all comes back like, like your understanding of sexuality all comes back to, the, to how you believe it began. And as a follower of Jesus, we believe that God created. Now, there's some other kids in my class that at the time believed in the Big Bang Theory, and, and really they take that by faith. They've got no video evidence. As a matter of fact, as I'm sitting in the class as an eighth grader processing this Big Bang Theory, I'm like, well, what came before that? And then if there's an answer, then what came before that? And then what came before that? And, and eventually you can get to a point where nobody knows what came before that. As is true when you read Genesis chapter 1, for those that are atheists and would argue against the God and argue for evolution, they would just go, man, what, how, where did God come from? Because it doesn't make any sense to the human mind. And so we have these two faiths, one that has God creating and one that has this thing that we exist in coming to fruition by chance. And so there they are. So potentially, instead of being angry as followers of Jesus, who believe that God created, we can, we can be calm. because We're confident that he's the creator by faith, and we could talk to, to our friends that do not believe that and have good conversations. I mean, after all, the goal is for them to believe. that was a, We're his representatives on the planet. The goal is for us to demonstrate how he loved us and transformed us to them. And so as opposed to being angry and venting and, and slamming the door in their face, this is a moment for us to, uh, to love and engage and think. None of that should be, should be scary to us. I had to call Joe Pitts. He's, he's over at uh, Radius White Knoll. I, I wanted to know what's the most powerful truck, and I just wanted a simple answer. And then he went, text me back this, like, do you want a one-ton truck? He, all these details. I said, just give me the most powerful one-ton truck. So if you've got a problem with what I'm about to say, call Joe Pitts. He says, and he drives a Dodge, by the way. He says it's F-350 Power Stroke King Ranch. He says it's the most powerful one-ton truck in America right now. So if you would follow me on this metaphor, you and I, if you believe in Jesus, if you've been saved by the cross, we've been... Uh, We've been moved by a metamorphosis of our souls to a place called God's truth. In my mind, it's this massive 
beach house, right? So this, it's this massive beach, let's just go with me if you will. Like it's two blocks size. And, and it, when you look at it, it, it's beautiful, but it just looks, I mean, super secure. Like you couldn't move this thing. And on this beach house, it has this wraparound porch, this monster wraparound porch. And that's where you and I live. We live on the wraparound porch where we can still have everything that's going on in the world. And yet inside the house, there's, there's seems like, because we hadn't been there, but we've read about it. Inside the church, it seems to be in, in there. There's folks that have followed Jesus, who believed in Jesus, and now they've passed on into eternity to live with him. It seems like there's a worship service going on inside the house. And we can hear it. Occasionally we'll hear a worship song going on. You can hear it singing inside. But on the outside, there's all this movement on the, on the earth all around our house. Now, I don't know if, if you paid attention, but I, I am just enamored with how they build beach houses. I call them pylons. Evidently, they're called pilings. Pylon sounds a lot better if you're a football fan. But these, these huge stakes that they drive in the ground and they set the house on. Well, this particular beach house, God's truth beach house, has these massive pylons. They, I don't know, go with me. They're 100 feet in diameter. They're 500 feet driven down into the ground. I don't even know how that would happen. This is a metaphor, right? They're driven down into the ground. There's many of them on the house and there's one on each corner. So there's four on the corners and they're throughout. As you know, you pull your car up under the beach house and that's kind of a place of safety for your car from the weather, but it's holding the house up in case the waters ever come in from the ocean. It protects the house, the truth. In our house, God's truth has these pylons and and on one of the pylons, it says, God created. Down below, the enemy Satan has been taking shots at this since the very beginning. He's got his F-350. He's got a chain on. It's got to be over 100 feet long, and it's, it's hooked to the back of his truck, and he is in the truck leaning out the window and just gunning it. And then he, he backs it up, puts it in drive, goes forward and guns it again. And then he puts it in four-wheel drive. All four wheels are screaming in the sand and trying to get something solid to pull. And they're making tons of noise and smoke. And there's people cheering him on all around as, as they watch him try to move this pylon called God created. I'll be straight with you. If you're out on the porch and you stare at him very long, and watch all the noise that he is making, eventually you start to ask questions. It becomes somewhat confusing because he's making so much noise and there's all these thousands and thousands, even millions of people cheering him on. And you, you begin to wonder, can that F-350 pull down this 100 foot in diameter pylon that's 500 feet driven in, into the ground? Well, the truth is there's no chance. That F-350 is going to, it's going to blow up. There is no possible way that the enemy can destroy the truth that God created. And yet, he continues to scream in his truck, and our kids and you and I will begin to flounder, particularly if we work our way to the very furthest corners of our monster wraparound porch called Lifetime. And all we can hear is the truck screaming and we can't really hear the worship anymore inside. It becomes confusing and we, we, get, we, we wonder what to do. 
Let me just make a clear statement for us. I believe, we at Radius believe, God created. And the easiest way to remind yourself that God created is stay close to the source. Now, there are brilliant men and women that have written all sorts of resources uh, to argue for God's creation. There's brilliant men and women that have written uh, for, for the thoughts about evolution. That There's books, huge books on both subjects. We put together some resources. If you want to go check those out, you can get to them online. There's a little QR code. You guys can resource it online and, and, and do some of that reading. You're, you're welcome to. There's all kinds of argument between smart guys and smart guys. But at the end of the day, there's this faith step that you and I took, if you believe in Jesus, that God created. My wife listens to Tim Keller a lot. I have to remind her who her favorite preacher is sometimes because she really likes to listen to Tim Keller. And Tim Keller talks about this little book that's in, in the glove compartment of your car or truck. I drive Hondas, as you all know, and in my Honda, there's this little, this little book. It tells you everything you need to know about the Honda. And what I have to do is choose to follow the book. It is written, the book's written by the folks that created Honda, that put this Honda Accord together. It has all the details on the healthiest way for the Honda Accord to go forward. But there's this, there's this decision that I have to make to believe that they wrote it, and then I have to place myself under their authority, and then I have to follow the ways in which they, they agree that the Honda ought to be taken care of. There's certainly that truth about this book and if you believe God created, then that leads to a bunch of other decisions under which you have to stay under his authority. Verse 3 in chapter 1 says God created light. I, I, I'm just enamored with him creating light. You know, our planet spins. I can't do all the science. It spins around the sun, but it also spins on its axis. And, and so there's day and night, and God's creative ability there is just it's amazing. How he designed that out of nothing, you and I can't even, our brains don't even get there. And so we say that he's great. We talk about our sun as well, just an average star. And yet when we see the description of it in science class, it's just overwhelming size and power and ability to hold us in orbit. All of that stuff just blows your mind. God just spoke all that into being, which makes us, makes us want to worship. But when he saw it, he said that, that it was good. Let me read you a couple more verses in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. And God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And those of you guys that loved to hunt when you were up in the deer stand and you saw the wild animals running by, you said, oh, God is good and that is good. And for those of y'all that sat in the Chick-fil-A line for 11 minutes because it works really well, then you got that chicken sandwich and you devoured it and you, you said, praise God, right, for developing the animals that scurry across the ground. Chicken is awesome. And some of y'all, you make no sense to me, but... You had your kale for lunch the other day, and when you were eating the kale, it just felt so healthy, I guess, bland. I'm not sure how it tastes, but, but you, you took it in, and, and you praised God for creating kale. And when he saw it, he said, it's good. Verse 26, and then God said, 
Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Referring to himself as the Trinity in this particular passage, which is a theological uh, concept that is above us all. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He refers to himself in, in, in plural in this passage um, and generally report, refers to himself in singular, which, which is a massive conversation that we would need to have another time. And yet it really impacts the way he created you and me. Check it out. They will reign over the, speaking of us humans, they will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You and I come on the scene. Human beings, the passage says that we were created in the image of God. I like to call it the IOG. It helps me remember it. If you want the Latin word, the Latin word is Imago Dei. If you want the Hebrew word, I, I can't say it. And I think that's why everybody talks about the Imago Dei because nobody can pronounce it. But if you were born onto this planet as a human being, you were made in the image of God. So somewhere on you, just like my shirt, my shirt's got a tag in the back. Who knows where it's made? Maybe Bangladesh. Who knows? Uh, it says, made in Bangladesh, and you and I, I don't know why I always pick my calf. We got this tag on us that we were made in the image of God. Enemy hates that tag. Everything that brings God glory, the enemy hates. He wants to remove the tag. He wants to remove your memory of that tag. But it's this amazing statement about you and me. Every one of those kids at Camp Hope, there's a couple kids that were just struggling so much with their identity. Really wanted them to understand that they were made in the image of God. Matt Chandler says it like this. Image of God means this. God's investment in humanity of God-like glory and moral capacity to reign and to rule earth as his representatives. Let me read it to you again. Imago Dei, image of God. God's investment in humanity of God-like glory, moral capacity, and moral capacity to reign and to rule earth as his representatives. He's saying we're not like the rest of the animals on the planet. We don't act like the rest. of We have this moral compass within us, and we respond to it. And he actually, he actually empowered us to be his representatives on the planet. So if you believe that he created, you also take the same chapter and you recognize that you and I as human beings were made in the image of God. And because of that, we have responsibility. We have responsibility to care for the folks in our radius. We have responsibility to the planet itself as he put us in charge of it. Uh, Genesis chapter five, it's, it's an interesting passage where the, the uh, book of Genesis unpacks the lineage starting with Adam and Eve. And so if you're talking about my lineage, we could go back to my great-grandfather. His name was John Reeves. My grandfather's name was Carl. My dad's name's Larry. And then I'm John. If, if you're at Radius Lexington, you can look around and find Israel. If you're at Radius Southside, you can find Elijah and Isaiah. Um, and then at Radius Lexington, you can look over in the children's area, and there's Amelia. My, she, she's in my lineage. That's, that's, that's my line. In Genesis chapter 5, it's, 
Adam and then Seth and Enosh and Canaan. There's a guy in there named Enoch. Pretty amazing stories about his life. And there's this dude named Methuselah. He's like the oldest of the bunch. Crazy stories about this lineage of mankind from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 5, 1 and 2 says this. This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created them male and female. There it is again. And he blessed them and called them human. He created human beings. In in one translation, he made them in his likeness. So uh, some of y'all suffered through Georgia being Clemson the other night, and some of y'all celebrated the entire night because you're pulling your haters. And uh, perhaps you got to see Ugga on the sideline, Ugga doing his thing. Everybody says he's the greatest college mascot of the whole country. I mean, we would argue, Gamecocks, you would argue with your illegal your illegal mascot that yours is the greatest. The Tigers would argue, I don't even know. Ours is kind of bland. There's a bunch of Tigers. But they say that Ugga is the greatest mascot. And he roams the sidelines and he's Ugga 2, 3, 4, 12, whatever number Ugga is. Great mascot, but he's an animal. And we would trade precious little Ugga's life for just 48 hours more life for the poor little girl in India that uh, has cancer and she's just hanging on. But we take Ugga's life to give her a little bit more life because, because she's different. She's made in the image of God. She has this intrinsic value that is nothing like little Ugga. Now, as, as even as the passage explains, it's our responsibility to take care of Ugga and, and the animals on the planet, but his value is not even on the chart compared to that little six-year-old girl with just a limited amount of time to live. That's why as believers, we hate racism because it is an assault against people being made in the image of God. Even from the South, I'm, I'm a true Southern. I've born here and grown up here. I am so glad we lost the Civil War because of the atrocities of Slavery. I'm so glad slavery was abolished because, because we dehumanized real folks based on the color of their skin. And that's why when this vote in Texas went down just a couple weeks ago, nah, this isn't politics. They, they just stopped doing abortions. Even if it's just for six weeks, we as believers, we hate abortion because it's assault against the image of God. If there was a date on my maid in the image of God, it would go back to the day I was conceived in my mother's womb. Only the Lord and my mama know what that date is, right? My birthday, 92667. I'm getting up there, but it started before that. I was made in God's image at, at all the way at the beginning. So we hate the things on this planet that are directed against the image of God. And the enemy... He hates that tag. He does not want us to represent God on this planet. He does everything that he can to argue against it. Psalm 139 is pretty funny to read as as a grown man. This is David writing. He's worshiping God. It almost feels like he's looking in the mirror and he says, I praise you, God. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He's shaving in the mirror and he's looking at himself and says, look at that. I need to worship God. Look at that. 
there's this uh, rejoicing that we're supposed to have because we're made in the image of God. And I know for a lot of us that are getting a little older, we, we try to look in the mirror really quickly because stuff's growing in places that ain't, it ain't never grown before and not growing in other places. And so like, we don't want to look too long, but we're supposed to be able to look no matter our age. Man, 13-year-old young men and women, look in that mirror and worship God. He made you wonderfully. We love the way he made you. I know you might be struggling with your identity right now, trying to figure out who you are. Man, I can't. We're, I'm, I'm talking about sexuality. A 12-year-old boy, he comes up, uh, catches me at the back of the room. There are people everywhere, and it's like he's, he's trying to figure out who he is, and he knows he's got this stuff going on in his life that he didn't know what to do with, and he goes, Mr. John. He says it really loud. He says, Mr. John, I'm, I'm struggling with masturbation. He says it about that loud. And, and I'm like, okay, 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 easy. Let's, let's walk over here. Let's get over here where everybody can't hear you talk. It was beautiful. He wanted to get it out. He's trying to figure out who he is and his sexuality. He was questioning it. I really wanted to remind him, hey, bro, you're made in the image of God. Let's talk about that and let's, let's deal with it. He came back to me about 10 minutes later and he says, Mr. John, can we, Keep that between me, <laughs> between me and you. I'm like, we could, but you just told like 15 people that were in the circle. Oh, I handled it and kept it quiet. Now, I guess I'm telling the story now, which is a little odd. It's beautiful, this process, 12, 13, 14-year-olds, this process of you becoming a woman or becoming a man that you're going through. Man, we want to walk with you through that. You can ask questions like that one. Like, what do I do with that. It's the way the church is supposed to work. It's supposed to be a safe place to have conversations and not hide. We believe, let me make it really clear, that humans were created in the image of God. And so this little tag on us points back to God. It points back and gives him great glory. There's a third pylon. So that was the second image of God. There's F-350 on it too. It's on the other corner of the house and the truck is, is, it's been going for years. You remember when you were in middle school, even if you're 54 years old, you remember those days when you wondered who you were and that truck was screaming outside the beach house and you could hear it and it was challenging who you were and you were wondering and waffling even while you could faintly hear the truth about God coming from inside and you had to work through it. Let me, let me just clear statement. We believe that all humans were made in the image of God. Third pylon. On the third pylon around the house, we'd have to write the word marriage because it's deeply connected to these verses in Genesis chapter 2. So we got creation, IOG, image of God, and marriage. <laughs> and sure enough, this is F-350. It seems like he got about three chains hooked up to that. Or if you want to go there, you have three F-350s pulling different ways, trying to shake, throwing it into drive, back in reverse, throwing it into drive, back in reverse, trying to shake that pillar that is unshakable. Genesis chapter 2 unpacks the very first marriage. So the Lord God caused a man to fall into a deep sleep. And while I skip the verse, let me read 18 verse. And then the Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Let me just for a minute go back to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
the immense love, this perfect relationship shared between the Trinity drives this design of mankind made in his image. He makes male and female, and he creates this possibility for a male and a female to join their lives together and have this incredible, deep, deep fellowship. Certainly includes sex, but not only sex. It has this deep possibility of fellowship between male and female. Check it out. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Equal, but distinct. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this is, this one is bone of my bone. Not, not like any of them. It's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And she will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and that two are united into one. Man, we can go back to the very beginning in Genesis and the marriage pylon has been being pulled on for centuries on end. The enemy hates the beauty of a male and a female joining their lives together and having this deep harmony. I'll read you a little uh, definition of marriage. Uh, and I, I just want to state it as a clear belief for us here at Radius. Marriage is one mortal life fully shared between a man and a woman. It's not much more complica complicated than that. That's deep. One mortal, you, you, I, I love that because I never use the word mortal, but one mortal life fully shared between a man and a woman. One man, one woman, fully sharing life. Every, every part of life by God's design from the very beginning. And it was attacked right out the gate. Polygamy comes on the scene. As a matter of fact, it's often named in Genesis. It'll, it'll say that Lamech had two wives. and It names that because that's abnormal. Multiple of the heroes of the faith had multiple wives. They, they were assaulting, in essence, the beauty of one man married to one woman and then deeply created, connected. Hey, divorce isn't new. We have, we have folks all over the radius body that have been divorced and have been remarried. And, and we, man, many of them doing a super job with their second or even third marriage as they've aligned themselves with Jesus, really taking that definition and and completely connecting themselves to the wife or the husband that they're with now. That, that's, that's a part of our culture. Divorce it, knew it. It was all the way back in the back. I don't know if you remember this, but Jesus and the Pharisees have this conversation about it. And Jesus was more conservative than the Pharisees on that subject. He just took this idea of marriage very seriously because he's the creator. He wrote the book in your glove compartment about how this thing's supposed to work. And so we want to hold that high and at the same time have grace for those who've had broken marriages. Welcome them as a part of this community while holding high the idea that we're our dream, according to the scriptures, that one man and one woman share their lives together until death. Certainly, uh, homosexuality is, is, as far as noise goes, is, is on the rise in our nation, but it's not new. It references the homosexuality throughout the scripture. And that has been an issue 
for centuries on end. Same-sex attraction, there's, there's all kind of debate and discussion on that. We don't really have time to go into a lot of that. But there eventually becomes this, this question of did God create or are we here by chance? And so if God created, then eventually I bow to his authority, even if my di- desires are different than his design. I bow to his authority because he's the creator and I want to glorify him and not just be happy. There's, there's this interesting thing for those of y'all that would lean to the gracious side and maybe the passive side. You might say something like, well, my daughter is gay. I cannot believe Romans 1 is true. God would obviously want her to be happy. Well, I, as carefully as I can and as straightforward as I, I can, I just, I just want to say you got that a little bit out of order. The whole world does not orbit around any individual's happiness. The world orbits, and, and it was designed by the one who created it. And so his design trumps all other desires. And in reality, even when there are these desires and sighs that go contrary to the truths that God has afforded to us in the scriptures, when we, when we die to those and, and align with him, that, that's really the only place that there's real joy, real lasting joy. And when I say lasting, I don't mean just these years we have on the planet, but these years where we are connected to him and throughout all eternity. And so these are like really hard conversations that all of us are having on our jobs and in our homes and at our schools. And I I really believe even though we believe that pillar of marriage cannot be moved, you and I have this voice because we know because of the grace that's been afforded to us through the cross, we know how to give grace to folks that believe differently than us. We're not so insecure that we got to stand up on the balcony and yell at the truck to start spinning, stop spinning the wheels. We're we're confident about what's going on in the house. And so we have this ease about us. We can talk about all sorts of subjects. Man, I wish you and I could grow that way. Let me read you this this quote from the Gospel Coalition. It'll take me a minute, but it's really good. Speaking about marriage. We can't turn the clock back to the days of Christian social consensus our nation is throwing away. That's the past now. But we who say we believe the gospel must stand up for the biblical definition of marriage. We must cultivate beautiful marriages ourselves. (laughs) It's always shocking to me when people making a bunch of noise, yelling, and yet their own marriages aren't very healthy. We must suffer social and legal penalties bravely. We must pray for revival. We must wait for the inevitable collapse of every false view of marriage. We must lovingly serve all who suffer for their attempts at false marriages. And we must go to church this Sunday and worship the living God with all our hearts so that we ourselves are sustained for faithfulness over the long haul because this isn't going to be easy. I think I just hit 32 years last week, 32 years. Ain't nothing about it been easy, but it's been good. It's it's changed who I am. It's made me worship God better, this relationship with Cheryl. It's completed me in some ways, to quote the old movie. She completed me. There's this beauty to this thing that God designed, but, but it's not easy, but it's beautiful. 
and it speaks of the gospel of Jesus Christ as he compares himself to the groom and the church to the bride. And so the very essence of a man and a, and a woman joining their lives together for all of life to death captures this picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, man, this, this is something we won't talk about. You want to talk to your campus pastor about it? He's ready. We've Talk to your small group leaders. They're ready. We want to have this as a place. You can talk about these subjects. We believe that the glory of God is connected to his creation. And normally, most of history, my sermon will be over. Those three pylons have been attacked by F-350s for all of history. And yet here in the last five years particularly, it's been growing over the last 20, 15. There's been this attack on one simple statement in in these passages. And here's the statement. Male and female, he created them. And in the United States right now, that pylon over on the fourth corner of the house has multiple chains and multiple trucks on it, and they are making so much noise, it's hard to think straight. People out on our wraparound porch living in real time. They're seeing the smoke and hearing the noise and asking questions. And our children are deeply impacted by all the noise. Even though there's this worship service still going on inside the house, you can hear all that noise. And you and I have to be prepared to talk about this. Our kids are talking about it. I learned that at camp quick. There's one young lady who was uh, clearly wrestling with her identity. A beautiful young lady. Uh, and she had all kinds of questions. Almost after every service, she'd come up and ask me a question, trying to find her way, clearly troubled in trying to discover who she was. And because of all that noise by all those trucks, even though they have no chance of moving that pylon, they're screaming the same thing that Satan screamed in the garden. You have a right to choose. You can choose your gender. All that noise doesn't change the fact that God created this thing. It's immovable. And so we had these amazing conversations. Some young students asking, what what do I do with my friend who's gay? How do I have a conversation with her? What do I do with my my friend who's transitioning? How do I have a conversation? Those are amazing questions, questions we ought to be able to ask here and in our small groups because you and I are supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be able to handle those things. Let let me just make a really clear statement. You don't have to apologize for that pylon. That's the truth. It's it's a simple statement, male and female, he created them. So on this little tag that says, I was made in the image of God. It says male. I I was made male. And there's all kinds of conversation on this subject. We hope to talk for the next six weeks about male and female and celebrate the beauties of how God made us male and female. We're going to go through three words for for men, provide, protect, and pursue. It's oversimplification of men, but those words are work. And then we're going to go three words for women, which are invite, nurture, and partner. Way oversimplification for you ladies. We'll have a bunch of fun with these things. We'll laugh more on these Sundays. We won't talk as long as I've talked today on this subject. What we want to do is hold high what God has created as the truth, and yet still be able to to carry out this grace that he's trusted us with and give it to our neighbors and multiply. We want to save them from some of the pain of all this effort to shake those pylons and set them free. Some of our young people right now, man, there's been 
There's been comparisons between the shaking of that pylon, male and female, to anorexia. Comparisons to, to cutting of the past. This lady at uh, Harvard recently was just, you know, she was crucified. In essence, I don't even know if she knows Jesus by arguing that, this, that biology can't be changed, that you were made male and female, and yet those trucks just scream and our kids have to deal with it and our neighbors and friends are dealing with it. And of all the safe places to talk about, it, it ought to be us. We put the Lord's Supper out every Sunday. And what the Lord's Supper does is remind you and I that we have a new identity. So there's no room for us to stand up and scream at everybody else like we got it all together. Our identity is in the blood and in the broken body of Jesus. We are connected to him through his death on the cross. That's our identity, Jesus. So it reminds us all. It humbles us all. Every Sunday when we come together, we look at the the Lord's Supper, it should humble us. And so that we're willing to hold the truth up and even suffer bravely for the truth, but we do it with the right tone. We do it with grace in our voice because we know that we were broken and we wanted, we've struggled ourselves for our identity so deeply and he saved us and gave us a new identity that's immovable. Jesus says that he's the truth. And yet he gave us great grace. And that's how we're to move and talk and act on this planet. So if you need to repent of some of the stuff you put online this week, then repent and come take the bread and juice. If you need to repent of being passive and not dealing with the truth, then repent and come take the bread and juice. If you're someone in our bodies right now and you're working through some sin in your life, you then hold it out before the Lord. He wants to meet you there. He wants you to help you own it and repent of it and forgive you with his broken body. Love y'all. Thank you for doing this one long talk with us. We look forward to talking biblical masculinity and biblical femininity in the coming weeks. Jesus, you know me. You know how you designed me. In many ways, uh, you saved me from uh, not only my sin, but all my battles with my own identity and gave me hope in the cross, Jesus. And so I, I just worship you now. I recognize the folks are dealing with all kinds of thoughts in their mind right now. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would help them in those moments. You give them courage to have real conversations with other people that know you. They could be honest and open and real and expect the truth, but the truth bathed in grace. Lord, we want to we be your light in this community. We're trusting, those of us that are partners here, Lord, we're trusting that you're going to give us just one person that we could overflow in, into over the next three years. Bring, bring them our way, Lord. We're trusting that our groups, they, they'd multiply, that they'd be such a safe place to have conversations like this, that more folks want to be involved so that they could talk and learn and, and belong. Lord, we want our, our churches that are gathered together this Sunday. We want them to multiply. We want them to be healthy enough to multiply. So walk us down that road, Lord. We want to be generous. Thank you for your amazing generosity to us when it, we want to emulate the way you live, Jesus. We pray in your great name. Amen.